who bless this gathering in Jesus of Nazareth's name I pray amen amen have a seat Thank you, Brian. Thank you, worship team. That was fantastic. Uh, good evening, evening service. Uh, it's great to see you, um, especially if this is your first time. Um, and if you're new around here, I hope you feel part of the family here uh, at Rehope. Um, we love Jesus, and certainly speaking for myself, I love coffee and I love donuts and croissants. And um, usually at this time, on a Sunday, I've got a lot more in the front of my shirt than I do right now. Um, I know Shannon will be glad that I've managed to dodge uh, the welcome baskets this evening. It's a privilege, it's my privilege to be sharing with you this evening um, from God's Word. We're taking a break from the series we've been in, um, which is learning to follow God well. Um, and we're taking a break for Holy Week uh, to look in on the Palm Sunday uh, story and the anticipation of Christ's death and resurrection um, next week for us, uh, the Resurrection Weekend is epic for Christians. Uh, it's like our Champions League final. It's like our Olympic finals. It's like the Embassy Snooker Championship, if that's your thing. It's like the Great British Break-Off finals. It's um, way better than all these things, obviously. Um, and uh, as we take time to focus in on that tonight, and this week as we look into Holy Week, um, I pray and I hope that we'd be taking the opportunity to be tuned in, to take it in, uh, the greatest event in history. Um, and I'll be honest, sometimes for me, Easter just comes out of the blue. Um, and I want this year to be caught up more in the meaning of Easter. Uh, and I want that for you too. And as we go from this place to be loving Jesus more, even as uh, all the razzmatazz goes on this week, and no doubt there'll be chocolate bunnies, eggs, lots of other things that are chocolate shaped, but sold to us at this time of year to celebrate it. So uh, for our context this evening, uh, I've just got Jerusalem up on the screen there. Uh, Palm Sunday is also known as the Triumphal Entry. And there's a focus on this event, um, not just this event, but the whole last week of Jesus' earthly ministry um, in the Bible in a special way. And the biblical significance for Palm Sunday and for this last week, Holy Week, is high. Um, how do we know that? Well, it's told in all, all four Gospels. It's recorded there. Not only that, it's foretold in the Old Testament. Um, and Holy Week, this week, is presented in detail because um, they are key to understanding uh, the mission of Jesus, his life and significance for us. Um, so as a setting, we have Jerusalem, and I put it up on the screen there. Um, I was fortunate enough to go there uh, last month, and this is fantastic, actually, at the evening service, to see that. Um, this is taken from Mount of Olives, um, what we can see in the mid-ground there is the Kidron Valley, and then up there on the left is the old stone walls of Jerusalem and the Jerusalem city proper um, with the Dome of the Mount uh, there. Um, and this is a recent, a recent photo of Jerusalem. That's our, our setting. What else was going on at the time? Well, at this time um, in Holy Week, there was a Passover festival that was taking place in Jerusalem. And this was a festival which would have gathered Jews from all over the nation. They would have gathered there. There would have probably been a lot more tents in and around Jerusalem city. It would have been packed, possibly even the Kidron Valley there and the mountaintops around about. It would be filled with people coming to celebrate that festival. I mean, at this stage, Jesus would have been approximately 33 in his, and he would have been teaching and about his ministry for approximately three years. 
Um, And his teaching was revelational uh, then as it is now. He taught that God's kingdom had come for all people, that he was the son of God and the only way uh, to God. Uh, Let's read uh, Luke's account of these events in Luke 19, 28 to 40. The triumphal entry. And when he had said these things, that's Jesus, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And Jesus said, and they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sent Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, uh, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And the way I'd like to to spend our time this evening is to look at these events under two themes, Jesus coming as king and yielding to Jesus as Lord. I've put a blow up on on the screen there of Jerusalem. It's just to get um, uh, an idea of the, the, the space that's covered in this story. I didn't know it was such a close space, um, sorry, a close distance from Bethany to Jerusalem. It's approximately two miles, so you could walk that distance in about half an hour. And that's the scene where we see Jesus being proclaimed as king by his disciples. And what I see in this text is Jesus leading and directing things. In verse 28, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Um, Jesus is choosing to come to Jerusalem here, and that's significant Uh, despite the death threats uh, that were known to be on Jesus' life. Earlier in Luke, Jesus uh, foretells that that he will die. Um, But the Pharisees and chief priests had already hatched a plot to to kill Jesus. And even Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead, they didn't want that record existing. They didn't want people turning to Jesus because of the evidence of Lazarus' life. The idea that Jesus would be the Son of God and was the Son of God was blasphemous to them. And it was against the popular leadership, what the popular leadership wanted for the Israelite nation. So Jesus in Holy Week, he stays outside of Jerusalem for that reason. He stays in the outlying areas and comes in for most of those events that take place. The disciples are directed by Jesus in verse 30 to 34. They go and fetch donkeys. They serve him gladly and are obedient. And for me, what I see in this, uh, story, this section of the passage is not the, the fact that the disciples um, are obedient to God, but the fact that a donkey is needed at this stage in the journey. Uh, earlier in Luke 19, uh, we know that Jesus has been in Jericho, which is 25 to 30 kilometers away approximately. So he's found himself to Bethany. Now he sees the need for a donkey to finish the journey. To me, it seems a bit inefficient in my logical brain. But Jesus knows uh, why he needs it and and we're helped by an old prophecy which was told 500 years earlier in Zechariah 9 verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. His humility is clear. This should have been a much larger do, a much larger event, if he was being exalted properly. But there's no mass riches. Um, there's no great exuberance. Um, no organized entourage on a borrowed donkey. And even in this scene, we see Jesus is yielding to God's will. He knows, Jesus knows fully well what will happen in this week in his life and ultimately what it will lead to the next weekend. But he is yielding to God's plan. He's not leaving the scene. And uh, we, I see that, it just it, God's yielding. Uh, Jesus is yielding to God, it's just so clear. Um, and in this scene, uh, Jesus lets the disciples praise him in John uh, 6 verse 15. Um, the crowds try and praise Jesus as king then, but Jesus departs. It's after the feeding of the 5,000. The crowd gathers around him. They want to make him king. But Jesus knows it's not his time and he departs. But that's not happening today. Um, so in response to what Jesus has done and his teachings, the disciples praise Jesus as king and it erupts from the crowd. The cloaks go down and the palm branches go up as a sign of triumph and victory. And we can read in John 12 verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. I love the fact we sang uh, Hosanna tonight. This is like the coronation of Jesus being lifted up as the King of Israel and his disciples are praising him. We see the scene of jubilation and exaltation. Jesus is being exalted, uh, but not by the whole city. It should have been that way if he had been accepted by all the Jews and the leaders. This event would have happened right in the middle of Jerusalem, but it was just outside, not just outside the city. But we know Jesus is the king of not just Israel, but of all of God's kingdom. Not just that local tribal area, and not just um, uh, that continent, not just his creation, mankind, not just earth, not just the heavens, but all of God's creation. God is king, uh, Jesus is king of all God's kingdom. And we know that that's not being fully uh, accepted or revealed uh, just yet. So some application of this. Um, how are we uh, worshiping Jesus as his disciples? How are we lifting him up in this week? What is it like uh, to be throwing down our cloaks and uh, raising up uh, palm branches uh, when Jesus is not here physically for us to do that with him. Well, I think like Jesus, um, he was yielding to God's plan. And if God has spoken to you specifically about something, I would encourage you to honor God with that, not just to ignore it. Um, but if he's given you, given you a word specifically to yield to him in something which is hard for you, that you would follow that and you would follow that through. And I think, um, I know when that God that does that to me, sharing that in Bible read-through groups is really helpful. And there's a support network for us to, to just, um, and we know it takes guts, these decisions, but to really follow them through. And especially this week, I'd encourage you just to, just to be worshiping Jesus publicly. Maybe that's speaking to someone if you get the opportunity and taking that time. Um, I'd just like to recap before we go on. Um, Jesus is coming as king. Jesus has come and is proclaimed as king of Israel, but we know that he is king of a far greater uh, kingdom, God's kingdom. 
His disciples humbly accept their need for him and worship him, yielding to his kingship. But we know not, not everyone in this picture is doing that. We see the Pharisees, they're questioning in verse 39 and 40. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The Pharisees were proud. In Luke 16, verse 14, it says they were lovers of money. In 18, verse 9, it says they were those who trusted in themselves and they were, that they were righteous and despised others. In 16, verse 14 to 18, they were more concerned about Jesus, um, more concerned, sorry, about being justified before men than God. We see their hearts here. And publicly through the Gospels, the Pharisees are seen questioning Jesus, mostly about money. And they had a motive behind that. Uh, the king they wanted, the Pharisees, the chief priests and the authorities, was a different king than what Jesus was. They wanted a king who would deal with their agenda issues, and their agenda issues were kicking out the Romans. They wanted a mighty king who would come with chariots, raise up an army, wield a sword, and take them on and kick them out. Why? Because the Romans loved to collect taxes and take them back to Caesar, and they hated that. Their love was for money. And they were also seeing that their followers were being eroded as followers flocked uh, to Jesus. Um, Jesus associated and spent his time with centurions, with beggars, the demon-possessed, uh, with deaf, prostitutes, fishermen, tax collectors, paralytics, lepers, ultimately thieves, uh, from low society to high, yes, uh, but to those who could see their need for God. He came for the humble, he came for sinners. And for these reasons, uh, the Jews and the leaders of that nation rejected Jesus. And this is foretold in an Old Testament psalm, 118 verse 22. It tells us the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the Jews wouldn't leave this, they wouldn't use this stone in the house they were building Israel. It would be rejected. But that rejected stone would become the cornerstone of God's, what God was building, God's kingdom. The Pharisees had self-righteousness and love for other things. So how can we attack these things in our life? Uh, how can we attack these motives from coming upon us and being what we're about? Um, like Jesus, we need humility and we need to yield to Jesus. And um, <clears throat> we need to check where our humility levels are with Jesus. And I like to think of this like going to the airport scanner. You know the security scanner where you go and inevitably they find something which you've missed. I like to think of my quiet time like this. When I come to God, the Holy Spirit is, as he comes, he's showing things in our spirit. And as he raises those, those things up, Jesus is doing it for our good. He's doing it so that we will yield them to him. And I know that they might be hard things. I know from experience they might be things that we don't want to deal with. Uh, but yielding them is part of our kingship following of Jesus and, and just proclaiming him as king over our lives. And it's a good thing. And again, if you're finding it tough, read through groups, fellow Christians, sharing that, getting alongside one another. It's a great way of acting on it. And it takes guts and courage, but I'd encourage you to go for it. So the Pharisees had agenda items. They had their agenda items that were a block to them yielding to Jesus' kingship. And we can have that too. I want to take you back to a story from uh, my youth. Um, 
I, was, I grew up in Inverness, and um, a friend of mine back then, Carl, I'm still a good friend now, we would have this sort of habit. I wouldn't say it was a ritual. It wasn't, it wasn't a spiritual thing. It was the uh, Pizza Hut all-you-can-eat buffets. We loved it. In the school holidays, we had nothing to do. We would pick up the, the landline, and we would find it very easy to find ourselves a, a Pizza Hut all-you-can-eat buffet. And typically, um, we would go for 12 o'clock, and it was really important that we had all three hours to enjoy and make the most of our 6.99. Um, it was on the other side of town. We would cycle. We would feel that we'd be earning it. And the three or four rounds of just visiting the buffet bar and filling up on pizza and garlic bread, token gestures of leaves and salad, um, never got boring. And we always filled ourselves up. Then we'd, then we'd stop on pizza, have a bit of something different, come back to pizza, cut out the crusts, there were, there, were a lot, there were a lot of tactics going on. Um, it was a big part of our school break back then. That, that's going back some years. But I think we can think of our Christian life a bit like that. If we think of an all-you-can-eat buffet, we take a plate and we want to fill it up all the things we find easy. We want to fill it up all the things uh, that we want. And there are parts um, that Jesus is highlighting to us and that we're not so keen on. We want to avoid them. When it comes to the king, kingship, aspect of Jesus. We can't avoid it and it's right that we humbly and joyfully accept it. And what does yielding, what does yielding to Jesus mean? Well, that basically that this life is all about Jesus and not about us. That's a massive statement. This life is not about us. It's all about Jesus and not about us. Verse 40 reminds us of that as Jesus speaks back to the Pharisees' heart. He's trying to teach them um, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If mankind won't proclaim that Jesus is king, creation will. It's phenomenal. But in reality, I'm self-righteous too, like the Pharisees. We cannot judge others who don't have the same belief as we do. Judge, no. Serve, yes. Love, evangelize, witness. Give them an example of Jesus, yes. But judge, no. Let's read on in Luke 19, verse 41 to 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, that's Jesus, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your disciples will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation or they did not know the opportunity God had offered to you. This is a powerful scene where we see Jesus weeping. And even though Jesus is being rejected here, in spite of the week that he'll have ahead of him, he is weeping tears of mercy over Jerusalem. Verse 42, Jesus was the one that was going to bring everlasting peace. But Jerusalem did not want him as king. Not only that, the reality was that some of the crowd that had hailed him king on Palm Sunday would, a week later, be hailing, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus knew that his popularity was fickle. Verse 43 and 44 is foretelling what would happen. Jesus knew. And that happened in AD 70. Jerusalem was crushed. It was invaded by the Roman Emperor Titus in the first Jewish-Roman War. 
Um, and he conquers Jerusalem and deals with the Jews mercilessly. I find this scene just so powerful. The Jesus that was being rejected was weeping uh, tears of mercy over um, the Israelites. And they'd rejected him. And what they wanted, they wanted to take on the Romans, that ultimately led to um, the Jews being mercilessly dealt with and dark days for the Jewish nation. What they chose was not wise and didn't have the best outcome for them. And when we have the same conflict, uh, we need to yield it to God. And I remember in Bible read-through about six years ago, we were in Curlers. Um, Gordon McKee was there. Duncan Rosewear was there. Um, a few others. And I just remember this sort of topic coming up. And someone saying, when I have a conflict with God and I read in the Bible something which has given me a different, a different focus, a different way, uh, something to yield to. They said, through the experiences of that, I've known that time and time again, uh, God's ways are, have a, a, far be- a far better outcome. And that's always stuck with me, that we have that conflict. We can yield to God. He can be trusted wholeheartedly. And we rejoice over that at Rehope. Um, we love that, those times of yielding uh, to God and humbly and joyfully uh, doing that. And I'm glad Jesus didn't get sidetracked by these events. I'm glad, I'm glad Jesus didn't get sidetracked in the rejection. Jesus had come, the world was reacting, uh, but Jesus had a plan that would mean all peoples uh, could come to himself. Not just the Jews, but all nations, and that's us here, the Gentiles. We are testimony to that. Sometimes we forget or get tricked into thinking that God doesn't know what he's doing. It's crazy. I feel that, I'm sure you do too. Or that his plans couldn't possibly be better than what we want. So is Jesus bamboozled in this? Well, even in their rejection, no. God was making his masterpiece even more spectacular by opening up the kingdom so that all could come to him. Those from outside the Jewish nation, uh, those who are humble and accept their need for him. But soon the rejected stone uh, was about to become the cornerstone of the new kingdom. And ultimately God was bringing his saving plan and nothing was going to stop it. So I'd just like to recap on that, yielding to Jesus as Lord. Jesus was ultimately rejected by Jerusalem and later at the cross by all people. As God's people, we can humbly and joyfully accept him and yielding to his ways, knowing that he gives the best outcomes. So I pray that as we go into Holy Week, that we be mindful of these things, thankful to Jesus. Jesus has come as king and that we would be yielding and joyfully giving up our lives to him. And there is a part two to this story. If you want to come back next week, and we'll be hearing about Jesus' ultimate victory at the cross. I've got some challenges uh, just as we close for tonight. Number one, this week be expectant for Holy Week 2019. Uh, set some time aside to enjoy it with Jesus. Um, read from one of the Palm Sunday accounts uh, through uh, to the end of one of the Gospels. In Luke, it's 19 to, four, 19 to 24. Exalt Jesus in a special way this week. If you have opportunity, take time uh, to speak to someone about what Jesus has done for you. And think, are there lordship or yielding issues that need to be dealt with in your own heart? Yielding of your heart, yielding of time, 